Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim today, and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve those brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk to our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Hi everyone, this is our second episode of our two-part series with our favorite season two moments from 2022. This episode specifically focuses on our chats with partners, and if you missed part one with our D2C brands, you can always go back and listen. I'll be giving an intro to each snippet, so if you want to listen to the full conversation, you know which one you can queue up. Without further ado, here's season two, episode three, with Vaza Martinez, founder of Growthbuster and Perfy, a healthy soda brand. You said something that was really interesting from, you know, an agency founder's perspective, thinking about, and a, and a brand's perspective, right? Thinking about the balance of when to, when to leverage an agency rather than when to hire in-house to build it out or use the resources you have currently, there's probably a much more intelligent way to ask this question, but you sort of see where I'm going. Is there, do you have any thoughts or advice around like when you would say you will save money by leveraging an agency, even though it seems more expensive upfront? Cause it sounds like you ran into that problem yourself firsthand. Yeah. Um, so there were certain things where last year my team didn't have the time to do. We hired an epic email agency. It was expensive, but you know, that, that, that's not any part of the, the funds I wish I had back. They are, they're fantastic. You probably know them, uh, David Bozen at Structured there. I love them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they helped out Perfy get our flows set up and all of that. But at some point I had to pull the plug on that because you've got to wait for retail to really kick in. And it's a long, little bit of a sales cycle. So I think it, going back to your, your actual question though, it's going to vary based on founder. You know, like there might be a founder that's epic at ops, someone or somebody who's just straight from, you know, Wall Street or someone who's a CFO experience. Their strengths are going to be their strengths and their weaknesses and blind spots are going to be different than mine. So I didn't hire a marketing agency. And it's it's quite funny how many photography or studios or marketing agencies reach out and say, hey, we want to work with Perfect. I'm like, can you beat zero dollars per month? <laughs> like, can you, yeah. if, you can, if you can if you'll pay me to work from right. and we got something going you know gb can, can take a hike but that's not the case so and it's not also it's also not one of my weaknesses i i hired agencies for r&d and for ops and those are two of my biggest weaknesses i don't have an agency for finance right now but we're not doing 10 million a year yet but like that's one of the neck that's one of the hires because it's one of my hugest weaknesses so as a founder the tools that i have in my tool belt are going to vary so someone hiring an agency doesn't always mean a marketing agency. There might be an outsourced ops agency. There might be an outsourced R&D. Not everyone's a food scientist, you know? Right. So everyone will have a point where they, they come to the question of, should I hire this in-house or hire an agency? For me, I think an agency is a lot more flexible. There's probably a premium. You're definitely not getting 40 hours per person. Like, why, why should you? Like, I see both sides of the fence on this one. Like, why, sh- why should I get 40 hours of an agency person's time when I'm not paying 
for their phone or their Wi-Fi reimbursement or not paying the payroll taxes on their, you know, on, on their employment, you know, depending on the state, it gets pretty crazy. Right. Um, so there's, there's benefits and savings to be had. I can tell you this, the ops agency I have, they're the most expensive, expensive invoice I get every, every month, but it's not one that I'm scared of because they have saved me so much money. I cannot calculate it by knowing how to do X, Y, and Z, or I would have been, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to launch Purview until two years from now, if I did all that stuff by myself. So um, it just depends on the founders, my, my direct answer. The one I use internally with clients is if same kind of analogy, we're at a networking event now. And if I walked straight up to you and said, Hey, can I have your business card? Here's mine. That's very, very transactional. You're probably like, what the hell is this dude going to do with my, my information <laughs> on here? And, and I'm like, you're definitely not a qualified leader. Like what I give you is a coaster. Like you're putting your drink on it. It's not a business. You're never going to hold on to it. But if we're casually having a conversation, Hey, Hey, where do you work? Oh, cool. You're at Malomo. I'm, I'm at Roadbuster. Like, I mean, um, I'm at, I'm at GB. Uh, then it's, it's so much more natural to hand a business card over to somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's, that's one thing where people don't quite get, and it's something that should be a little more focused on. I agree. Um, I, first of all, I'm going to share this episode with all my single friends to let them know, this, mm -hmm. take this advice when you're, <laughs> when you're out next time. Uh, so thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Came for retention. Stay for getting advice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Everything no. has an application, you know. Right. <laughs> Everything's uh, connected. Next up, we have episode five in season three with Andy Warren, senior director of strategy at Tomorrow Agency. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, I think that's some great anecdotal evidence as well that you guys have carved out a great sort of like niche in the space. Um, and I know the first time you and I talked, I thought it was really interesting um, that, you know, we sort of reflected on like your enterprise experience and how the Shopify ecosystem is different because in the enterprise space, like there's a ton yeah. of consolidation, right? Like you can build almost everything off of Salesforce if you wanted to uh, within the Salesforce ecosystem now. They want you to think you can for sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then brands are like, well, why can't you just as my agency go build it on Salesforce? And it's like, well, right. it's just not quite that easy, right? But in Shop in the Shopify world, like there's an app for that, right? There's there's 12 different apps that tomorrow's working with at least, I'm sure. Um, but they all offer different sort of like data sets, right? That power not just the site, but like uh, the the marketing behind it. And uh, you know, I want to shift focus to retention here soon. Um, but yeah, can you talk a little bit about how that has been a, has been a change for you uh, yeah. throughout the career and how you're thinking about it now that you're in the Shopify space? Uh, it was it was a big change, and and honestly, it wasn't one that I was really prepared for when I took this position because I mean, I remember we worked with a client for a number of years. Um, and this was at my last agency, and and we built out their entire subscription program for them. Like we built them a subscription platform in Magento. And, um, you know, you think about that now and people are like, why would you do that? Because <laughs> it's, you know, just like not, not our, uh, it wasn't really our bailiwick, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I don't think I realized when I came into the Shopify ecosystem, just how 
ingrained the different applications were in just the functioning of the uh, the website overall. And so that's been really, really unique. And so it's been, on one hand, it's been, um, it's been great because I think there's more innovation that happens that way, right? Like there's more competition within different parts right. of the customer experience, which I think then begets more innovation within those spaces. But then it's also difficult from the agency side because it's hard. Like not only do I have to learn Shopify and all of the stuff that Shopify does, mm, and then yeah. all of the things that they're releasing all the time, but then it's like, oh yeah, well, there's like 15 different things that you need to learn about as well that surround Shopify. And all of those have really cool features and really cool reporting and really cool ways to interact with them. And so it's, um, you know, as somebody that is helping clients identify choices that need to be made and then the direction that will best help them succeed in those choices. It's, it's a big data set that we've got to kind of parse through in terms of like what things we need to pick and, and where they need to be selected from. So it's uh, it's been a big shift, but it's uh, it's exciting though. You know, it's with, with Magento and, and commerce cloud, Salesforce commerce cloud, you know, it'd be six, eight, 10, 12, 24 months before <laughs> like you had something that you were able to release that was going to be able to work. And right. with Shopify, it's literally like, I just go and click that button <laughs> and it's like, well, that works now, uh, right. which is awesome. Yeah, I love the, I love the zero party data use cases, like basically gamifying the capture of that by, you know, unique quiz quiz-like experiences and then navigating customers through the site based on their their preferences and uh from the answers that they provided you and willfully yeah. so right like uh i think that that's going to become even more important beyond just personalization it'll probably become more important from like a legal and compliance standpoint as you know cookies go away and yeah and second and third party data becomes like a thing of the past um any any other tips and tricks on like personalizing the the experience and sort of how you how you think about that um for for merchants i think it's super important um my experience with personalization has been it's been tough you know i think there's a um i think there's a gap between the customer expectation and the um or even even the, the merchant's expectation of personalization and what's able to currently be provided easily um and so i'm i'm excited to kind of see what advancements are going to be made there so like when you look at things like um oh how how are cdp is going to reshape personalization on mm. in, in the on-site experience and things like that i think that's really cool and unique but it has to be done in a way to where there's not like the, like we worked on personalization for a company probably I don't four or five years ago, maybe before it was kind of like all, all the buzz. And we went to our client and said, okay, so we've got this great model that's built out and we think we understand how the personalization aspect needs to work and we can activate it for you on the website but we're going to need your creative team to build out five times the assets that they're currently building. And they were like, yeah, they can barely get the number of assets out that we need right now. Yeah. 
I'm not going to increase it fivefold. And so, you know, I think there needs to be some solutions there in order for it to, to really start to make sense. Like, how are we going to be able to do this without forcing people to, uh, you know, increase their workload by fivefold to make it, to make it happen. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but I'm excited to see where that goes. Cause that's really going to be, you know, I, I like that kind of your website has become your salesperson, uh, type of uh, mm-hmm. conversation. And I think that's, that's it, right? Like how do we harness the data that we have about the customers that are coming and their intentions and what they've clicked on? And, and then how do I make that into a really unique set of recommendations for what it is that they're going to want or need to purchase? Like, I think that's, that's the end all be all, right? On episode eight of season two, we're joined by Matt Bingham, Director of Technology Partnerships at Akendo. That is an awesome overview. Um, and I know, you know, we're standing up or already have some Okendo review integrations on order tracking pages recently, which is really awesome to see. Um, you, you know, you talked about the whole like idea of getting people to, to purchase based on what others are doing and like what others liked. I'm reading the book influence right now, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And one of the chat, the chapter I'm on right now actually is called social proof. Yep. It's like one of the four or five levers of influence that they talk about. It's right up, uh, right up Okendo's alley. I think the whole idea yeah. is like the, the more people, I think the section I read last night was literally called like, their strength in numbers and like social proof's good, but the more social proof, the better. And I think that's pretty much Okendo's mission. Um, I'm curious if you have any like top of mind, real life examples of this working in the wild, or even just like overall metrics that you've seen in terms of how social proof impacts impacts like buyer behavior. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think it's something like 95% of people read reviews before purchasing from a new site. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, people read reviews. We also notice that when people um, click on reviews and like sort them out by maybe like UGC or photos um, or, you know, with something that's unique to you, Okendo is we collect a lot of attributes on the review submission. So like instead of just regular five stars, mm. um, you can ask your customers to say, you know, what did you use the shirt for? Is it like for workout or just regular wearing or like a a bunch of different attributes that you would find relevant as a brand? Yeah, as as Matt was talking, Mariah, I was thinking at the end of this season, we're going to have to do like like key takeaways because there's so many recurring themes already. And this is Mm -hmm. only the third, but the third episode we're recording for our ecosystem uh, episodes. But um. A couple of things that stuck out to me were the zero party data that we just talked about yesterday with Tomorrow Agency. And that episode isn't out yet, so I'm not going to spoil. And also, <laughs> he talked a lot about um, the website being like your, think of the website as like your in-store salesperson. So like that person behind the cake store desk, mm-hmm. um, the website should function as closely as possible to that personalized experience. And by... Um, you know, giving that social proof, I think that's one sort of checkbox to be able to do that. Um, No, I I agree. I think um, a lot of times, and uh, I think brands, it's no fault of their own. They're trying to scale and grow their business, but 
Um, I always kind of recommend to brands take a step back and think about how you would interact this as a brand new consumer. Um, I think sometimes, you know, you're, you're in the head in the sand, you're trying to fulfill orders, you're sending out an email, you're doing a social post. Like if you're an online brand, you got like a thousand different fires to put out every day. Uh, but sometimes like maybe taking that step back and being like, how is this, uh, you know, website build or how is this email going to like help a new consumer build some sort of community or trust with me? Or, you know, if we're doing like a card abandonment email, like how are we going to help them kind of see the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel? You know, is it more actionable in that email or not? You know, I think, uh, the storefront, uh, you can do so much for conversion op uh, rate optimization in terms of design and display. Uh, but at the end of the day, with uh, you're not adding like social proof or personalized messaging, um, I think you're missing out on an opportunity to make uh, maybe a new consumer or somebody that's still learning about you, um, you know, purchase from you. And uh, I think that's no fault to own that, that brand owners, they got a thousand things going on. But I always like to recommend that to them because it's uh a good way to kind of like reset. It's like, okay, let's think about how this would be perceived to certain audiences to, you know, make them feel more comfortable. For this one, we pulled from episode 11 with Michael DeSantis, director of business operations at Doris Dev and founding member of Canopy, a leading diffuser brand. You know, at the end of the day, what, what we're looking for, if we're doing everything end to end, you know, industrial design through supply chain setup into freight and freight and ops, um, you know, we're looking for uh, we're looking for a number of things. One, we're looking to understand what the capital structure of the business is. How much money have they raised? Do they have the money that they need to invest uh, to stand up a supply chain and then have enough money to launch a website, build a brand and and spend the marketing dollars to to keep the business uh, rolling. That's super important to us, uh, you know, kind of hearkening back to that. We want any any brand that we, we work with, we want to see them be successful. We want to make sure that they're going to have like a long lifespan and um, mm -hmm. support them in, in standing up a supply chain that, that can scale with them. Um, two, I think it's like we we are in a position and you know we have been historically to say no to things if we don't think it's going to be a good fit for us whether it's you know a type of product category that we're not super familiar with we don't do wet chemistry um we don't do apparel right um we really focus on like dur durable goods um okay. canopy is a great example in injection molded plastic part with with fan there's some electrical components involved um in that case, we'd be looking for a brief from the client saying, hey, here are all the key characteristics. Here's what here's the kind of target market we're looking to go after. Here's our uh, target landed costs. Here's the key constraints that we've we're aware of, whether that's, you know, relevant compliance testing or in you know the case of a humidifier, say we need it to be able to humidify a space up to 500 square feet. Right. So there are, you know, kind of design constraints and engineering constraints. And we're looking to have those at least somewhat defined prior to kicking off an engagement. So that way we can have a clear picture and path forward. We're also looking for, you know, target minimum order quantities somewhere in the 1500 to 2500 range. Obviously, the more the better because you're going to be able to push price down on the factory side of things. But um, that's kind of the low end of, of what we're looking for in terms of what people are looking to execute uh, on. And at the end of the day, you're making a big capital investment to set up a supply right. chain. So um, once we have all those those key characteristics defined, um, 
what we'll do is we'll step into the industrial design phase. We'll bring in the design team. We'll have a kickoff meeting, really kind of blue sky the project and say, here's where we're, here's where you're finding inspiration. Here's where we're finding inspiration. It doesn't even have to be the same category of product. It could be a sculpture that you like or something like that. Um, we, we, we just worked with the soft services team. They just launched a product actually on Tuesday um, that, you know, was inspired by like some, some sculptural art that we then took and turned into a physical product. And it's, it's beautiful. Another question I was thinking when you, when you were sort of talking about the whole process, I'm so happy you walked us through that. Cause I would imagine like a lot of, you know, for us and a lot of our listeners probably don't realize how much goes into it. What, what should brands be doing in like that interim period while they're waiting for the product to be ready? Like, are they normally fundraising? Are they normally like evangelizing their brand and starting their marketing outreach? Are they, you know, like what, what have you seen them do and what would you recommend that brands do when they're in that sort of holding period? I, I think it depends. Like if, if you're talking to pre, a brand that's pre-launch at the end of the day, if you're engaging with a Doris Dev, you've you've already raised that like pre-seed round of funding. Um, you're probably you've probably already kicked off branding work. Um, ideally, like if we're doing industrial design, you have like a logo and a color palette figured out by the time we're getting the ball rolling. Um, and then you're getting the process started on designing and developing the website, getting everything set up operationally. If you're going to manage your own 3PL, make sure that that's all tight. Make sure you understand what the tech stack is going to look like on, on your side of things. I think, um, you know, on the canopy side of things, this is super true. The tech stack that we started with is not the tech stack that we have today, right? And like even, you know, launching with you guys on the canopy side of things, like my mind, super exciting change to the business, super interesting opportunity for us. Um, and honestly, like a no brainer. Um, yeah. I think the the thing is, is like when you're first evaluating your tech stack, though, you need to be thoughtful and you need to stay scrappy. I think that a yeah. lot of brands and I think everybody's feeling this now, but uh, people like to spend when they have the money and, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, fundraising is a lot harder to do today than it was a year ago. Um so being super thoughtful and staying scrappy, I think, is key. And and thinking about where what are the highest impact areas, of the tech stack that you want to invest money in today, where you want to end up in the future, and like you know maybe that's starting with something super simple on the referral side of things or on the reviews side of things, and knowing that you're going to eventually graduate to something that's a little bit more sophisticated and complicated. Um, that that's going to give you the ability to do more things, whether that be on the retention side of things or or the loyalty side of things. Um, so I think it's really a matter of like during during that interim phase, there's a ton of work that's going on, and ideally, we're just giving you peace of mind on on the product side of things. And yeah syncing up with you on a week over week basis. Um, This next one is from episode 14 with Aaron Schwartz, former president of Loop Returns. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, And like, what, what, is there anything around that like about around international shipping that like makes it like uniquely hard or complex yeah i mean if you think about um so think about you ship from your 3pl you're a brand owner and you ship to somebody in canada let's just keep it simple and you use fedex or dhl 
there is a reasonable chance that it never touches a, a FedEx truck. It mm -hmm. might be picked up by a USPS truck because it's like a USPS workshare and then deposited. And then it might get handed over to Canada Post. And then it might get handed over to a local last mile delivery company. So you're paying FedEx or DJ, whatever in that example, but FedEx is never actually touching their product, right? They're coordinating somebody else doing it. And so if you think about like logistics is easy if it's like walking to your neighbor, right? When you start adding legs or different consolidation points and it's further, so there's different weather patterns, like everything is just more complex because first of all, you do not own the whole chain. So you're at the whim of somebody else. And even if you're a big partner, you don't know what's going on at that. Like, you know, I mean, like a couple of years ago, one of our partners had like tornado in Tennessee and their warehouse was down. It's like, everybody was okay. Do you know what I mean? Like after you yes, get through like, yeah. the business, the human side, all of that, then it's also like, okay, cool. But we have no control over what happens with, with those packages. It's going to take an extra week. You can't like go pick it up and go solve that problem, right? It's already yeah. in their system. And yeah. so I think just like globally is painful because the logistics, you you can't own assets everywhere. So therefore it's yeah. almost better to own no assets or like yeah. own assets are like the crucial points. And then getting information from different people's systems is hard, right? Because in that example, it's like USPS heading off to Canada Post, heading off to the last mile or your 3PL heading off to USPS, heading off to Canada, right? So it's like there's visibility concerns. And then there's like different tax regimes where this country you pay X percent if the product's provenance was in Pakistan is different than if it was in China is different than if it was made in Mexico or whatever. So it's just like all the complexity in one yeah. and you're shipping something that's this big, like, you know, <laughs> still got to get there and people have like, well, it needs to be here in seven days. It's like, well, <laughs> it's probably a pretty hard challenge. So I think that's it. And it's like the things to do are like, obviously choose good partners, get good visibility, staff up with customer service. And like, get really good at pattern recognition. Like theoretically, mm -hmm. every package in the into Berlin is stuck stuck in customs in, for three days. Tell your customer, hey, don't worry, it's going to be there in three days. It's in customs. This is normal versus don't give them any information. And each day they check in the system and it says held in customs, held in customs. Like that creates anxiety. That creates a customer service ticket. Get away from that. Yeah. I think that's so, so two things, like as you're talking through that, that's sort of fascinating to me. And, and like, I didn't, I didn't really realize this or recognize this until we got deep into Momo. Like mm -hmm. the amount of packages that are um, um, maintained or delivered by not the people who you bought the, <laughs> the shipping <laughs> from. <laughs> like, I'm learning this is. in real time. Right? Okay. Then the second thing you mentioned is focus. Like, yeah. Uh, um, um, I'm curious too on this because like um, I think this is kind of an interesting topic, especially right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the in the ecosystem generally, right? Like merchants are are looking to their tools to do more so they can have like yeah. one tool to rule them all yeah. versus like <laughs> uh, the merchants who like that, like that lays like the um what's that uh, the swiss army knife right yeah. it was super tactically good yeah. at this one thing um i think now you're mixing metaphors but i know what you're i saying. am too <laughs> we're, we're good I, I i follow what you're asking that'll be the theme <laughs> one, of this, one, one. this army knife yeah this is army knife this is the one thing but also seven other things <laughs> you got a corkscrew um, <laughs> oh man look i mean you you and i you and i have talked about this i i yeah. think um I think for most things, you probably just want a bundled solution and like 
done is better than perfect. Make it really easy. I think there are a handful of things where like you want something great. And so um, I don't think that's the same for every brand, but if, I, if I'm building my brand right now, right? And I'm hyper-focusing on what to do. I'm like making maybe half a dozen decisions where I'm like making very considered decisions and I'm not looking, like I'm looking within my budget, but I'm not looking for cheap. I'm looking for like the best product I can afford. Does that make sense? And I, I think those are like certainly your platform. So you choose Shopify or maybe you look somewhere else, but like, I don't know any brand who's starting today who's not like defaulting there, right? You choose a help desk. If you're like, I think it's very good for you to be close to your customers. So again, let's talk, let's talk about if you get to like 250K in top line, like you start growing and like you have ambitions of building your brand, right? You, you choose a help desk. So that's gorgeous. Could be Zendesk, could be customer, could be Cladly, whatever, right? But like you do a considered purchase there. You choose your 3PL, your fulfillment stack, whether it's like use a great 3PL, um, you decide to do it yourself. Like you're at least very, very thoughtful about that. You choose your email marketing tool, maybe your text messaging tool, but definitely like you're probably defaulting to Klaviyo, but like there's OmniSend, there, there are others that like might be better or worse for you. You definitely choose your returns platform because like every one of your customers is going to look at your return policy, depending on your vertical, 30 plus percent are going to return a product. If you give them a bad experience, they're going to not come back. Even if you hit them with an incredible ad, if you give them a simple experience, even if they don't keep the product. You've paid to acquire those customers. You should be trying to drive them to exchange so that they don't leave, right? Like it is a big retention tool. And you choose a tracking platform because that like both helps with retention and with customer service and with like what we talked about with passport, like obviating tickets. Because you give people good visibility, they will not email you and take three minutes of your team's time with saying that like you can just help them not be stressed. There's marketing tools, there's review, like there are awesome reviews platforms like Junip, whatever, whatever. But I feel like that is like the beginning of the the stack, right? When yeah, you're going. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like I would I'd be very cautious about going to get like a family of apps type of product, which is like a B plus in each of those. Because like, I don't know, you want you um it's expensive to acquire a customer, so you want to retain them. It's expensive to serve a customer, so you want to do it in like the most efficient way possible. To Mariah, your your question about all the different channels, you'll want to use somebody like a gorgeous because you not only want to like simplify your your team's ability to support, but like support quickly mm-hmm. and also get all the analytics, which all these guys provide. Next, we're joined by Lewis Lewis, founder of Growth Stable from episode 17. because you always need to be bringing in new customers. But mm-hmm. uh, while that first purchase is obviously like absolutely necessary, it's actually the second purchase that is probably more important. Um, any any thoughts on that? Would you agree, Lewis? I completely agree. I completely agree. And, I, and there's no way to, I don't think there's a way to truly grow a brand without getting to a point where you're, you know, dabbling with acquisition in that marketplace. Um, but there are so many tools that aren't being focused on to get that second purchase, right? You know, one thing that I always talk about with the brands that I, I speak with is the referral programs they use where they're such home runs. You know, they put, like you just mentioned, $20 sink, sunk into that first acquisition. Most customers are getting a first-time customer offering with a lot of brands, right, in e-commerce. And what I've seen is when you can offer a referral program, and you offer a reward to an existing customer that matches that first time referral, uh, excuse me, first time customer discount, you're in a place where you're offering a lower cost to you for an acquisition 
and you have a higher chance of that customer sticking around, right? It's almost like a warm lead instead of a cold lead. You don't have to communicate as much to that referred customer because your friend, the existing customer, is doing a lot of that heavy lifting for you, right? And it's one of the tools that I use with with Maloma with the brands is you have so much excitement built in when a customer places an order. And yeah. leading up to that, all the conversation, all the marketers talk about is intent, 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 intent to purchase, right? How about the excitement about a purchase, right? That's that's what thrills me. When you get a customer to purchase, the conversation almost just started. We now have a, an official relationship. And if you can co- converse with them throughout their excitement, right? So checkout is the thrill. Oh, I made the thrill of purchasing. When's it coming? And then all mm-hmm. those emails leading up to the delivery, which as you guys know, the open rates are through the roof yeah. because of that excitement. Also, they're not marketing, but through the roof because of the excitement of like, when's it coming? They know essentially when it's coming. You've kind of communicated that when they purchase, but they still check every status update, right? Out for delivery, the shipped one, and then delivered. If you yeah. can leverage that with the tool like you guys offer in Malomo, you can capture that excitement. And leverage it to something like the referral program, with which kind of enhances your acquisition model at a much lower cost than most likely what you're usually offering for a cold market like on Facebook or such. Um, or it also getting that second purchase from the customer. Maybe they ordered product A and they were excited and they caught their eye and they never even experienced the opportunity to purchase product B. Why not suggest product B in that moment? And all that's at that heightened sense of excitement. It's just such a, a great opportunity that, you know, compared to a brand who's not leveraging something like Malomo, they may just be purchased, sent to a FedEx page, yep. and, and we'll see you next time. And maybe next time, if there is a next time at all. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed on, on Porta's tracking page is, to your point, Lewis, you talked about how, like, a lot of brands may, might think about this as increasing LTV by pushing product recommendations or sign up for our subscription program. But don't maybe don't think about like, how do we just make sure that this customer is super well taken care of, especially if it's the first time, right? Like what can we do to ensure they have a great experience so they come back for that super integral second purchase? And what I love about the Portos page is like the first thing, like you offer all the same stuff. You offer other products, you offer... Um, refer a friend program uh, and everything else. But you also, uh, the first thing that you see when you go to track the order is baking instructions. So when that product arrives, you have the information you need right there to pop it in the oven or do whatever you need to do to have the best experience possible with that, with that product that you just purchased. And that's really where it all starts, right? You can't get to refer a friend before you have the the initial super positive experience that keeps them coming back for a second purchase. So yeah. I love that you took a, a clearly a very holistic view uh, to building out the transactional experience. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's exactly holistic, like you said, because you do need, they've already purchased and now you have to make sure they have everything they need to enjoy the um the food that they're being delivered and it is a very seamless process but you know there's times where you may lose instructions that are included in the order or you lost that email we want there to be no question about what you need to do to enjoy the food because again that peak excitement is something that's already built in and when that food arrives you want to eat it within the 30 minutes it takes to bake or less if you don't if you're kind of fidgeting for instructions and you don't have it at that time 
you know, we want to make sure there's no, there's no opportunity for you to not have the resources you need. And then on top of that, we'll put, we're pushing the, you know, contact us. If you have any questions, if something doesn't make sense in instructions as maybe you misread it, or we forgot something you can understand in that situation. So there's no friction for you enjoying the amazing food you ordered. That's the ultimate goal. On episode 20, we're joined by Dan Caldwell, Senior Strategic Partner Manager at Clavio. What about making sure that on our for our subscribers in the post-purchase experience, we they're already subscribed. We don't need them to subscribe again. Let's push them down a funnel to refer a friend because we know they're loyal fans. So it's creating this flywheel, right, between retention and acquisition um, that I don't think has, like I said, like even for us, it wasn't the first thought. The first thought was just, let's keep customers. Now it's morphed into growth through those customers. Absolutely. I, I think it's something that people are starting to come around to now um, a little bit more in the past of not separating out your typical transactional strategies with your marketing strategies. And the, the use case I talk about a lot with shipping is like, Yes, when somebody has three shipping delays, like let's notify them, let's keep them in the loop. And there's a whole, that's kind of the retention side of things. Because um, I think at, at this point with supply chains, people are pretty used to uh, shipping delays <laughs> at this point. I think yeah. what they don't like is surprises when it comes to it. Like, where is that package? Oh, it's been delayed? Why didn't you tell me? I think that's the big thing. People want to avoid the surprises. So that helps on the retention side of things. But then for those who didn't, like, what do you, when you know somebody had a really good shipping experience, what are you doing from that? So when you like one of my examples in terms of LTV, whether that's revenue or being at the top of the funnel, I mentioned reviews. Yep. And so like something you could do in Clavia, this is something like we pride ourselves on in terms of like intertwining the data is it's pretty common for somebody to have a flow that's asking for a product review. Traditionally, it's like two weeks after somebody purchased something on Shopify and the order was fulfilled. Yeah. But that wasn't when it was delivered. That doesn't take into account what may have happened um, along the way. A lot can happen between, hey, the order is packed up and, and being sent out and it arrives to a doorstep. So let's get a little bit smarter. Let's mm -hmm. use that from our integration um, to trigger this, not two weeks after the order was purchased, but after we know that the order had arrived. That's, hey, maybe let's split out those who had more than one shipping delay during that process. Let's let's bring in that retention message for them. Those who have the streamlined message, perfect. Let's do a review request. But actually, let's go ahead and make sure that they didn't return the product. That's that's not a great oh, yeah. they return the product. Mm -hmm. um, do they have a ticket open with your customer support? We have integrations with Gorgeous and Zendesk. Um, helps out other platforms that can like pull in. Are they upset about something? Really bad time to ask for a product review. Really good way <laughs> to get a one-star review. So being really intentional and smart. And, and it's not necessarily like, oh, you don't want feedback or, or like one-star reviews are the worst thing in the world. But you want to just avoid those tone-deaf messages too. Like it doesn't feel good as a consumer when... I'm being asked to leave a product review and I haven't even had the package where I returned it or I'm talking to customer support about an issue I'm trying to work through. So just being really intentional about those things, intertwining that data from all your different tech stack, because then you can generate more five-star reviews. Now you know who could potentially be a VIP customer. So now it's like, hey, do you want to sign up for a subscription on Recharge um, and try to get the recurring revenue from them? Would you like to join our loyalty program? That, that's a great thing to check out. Or like, 
hey, are you pulling in how many Instagram followers they have from a platform like Gatsby um, on the influencers side of things? Can we now automate you into a flow to help enable you to share and get rewarded for sharing a positive experience? I think that's an overlooked um, area right now to where the paid media on social is a little bit more difficult to do. Influencer has been around for a long time, but with really good data and automation, can you really empower a micro influencer platform? Sure. And all this is derived from the shipping notification um, that came right. in and it delivered and just being really intentional and personalized and heard. And, and I think that's a key theme when we think about retention and thriving customers, just speak to them based off their experience. So if they want to be heard, they want to be felt. And if you have a lot of customers, it's hard to do that one-on-one. So just being really smart and intentional about those messages, sending out intertwining as many different inputs as you can, just to speak to them as close to one-on-one as you can. I'm really advocating, or we're really advocating for our merchants. Um, you know, when we talk about retention as a new acquisition, yeah. like there's not just the focus on, hey, how can I drive a lot of net new business from this, but how can I use this as an opportunity to continue to grow my business later on? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting time to, un- and it, like the hardest time to understand your customers and why they're there. Because um, it's gift giving. And so that's when it's interesting. This is why I, I'm an app for my survey partners. When you think of somebody like an Octane AI or a Jebit or a Typeform or like a fairing for a post purchase, like all of those can help you understand who your customer is, what, what are they really doing there? You know, there, there's a lot of platforms that are really good to help. Hey, they're looking at this, this, and this product. So they're likely to like this other one, but are they looking for themselves or are they looking for their mom or, or for the right. girlfriend and it's gift giving. So understanding who that person is and who they're shopping for, because it's really helpful for after Black Friday or Monday, you're trying to grow an old TV. Now, if that is somebody who purchased for themselves, you probably have a playbook, you know how to like try to like grow LTV from your existing customers. Um, but if it's not, then uh, you're actually not, probably trying to sell to the person who you just who just bought your product, but right. the person who just bought two. So can instead of asking, like if I buy something for my mom, like instead of asking me to join a loyalty program for a company that does earrings or something, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not your customer for a loyalty program on earrings, but my mom may love it. And so are you giving me a clear path to invite my mom? Like, oh my mom, you love those earrings. Hey, here's that company in case you like more. Um, that's a really good opportunity. Or like, if you know, if you can ask, hey, who are you buying for? And I say, my mom versus my girlfriend. Now, you know, do I care about Valentine's Day or do I care about Mother's Day sales? Mm-hmm. And then you can have an outreach to me coming up towards Mother's Day of, hey, Dan, did your mom like those earrings? Uh, we have 20% off coming up for Mother's Day. Check out the, this new collection. I'm like, awesome. Like that could be super helpful. So just as clearly as you can understand why they're there, not just the products that they're looking at and the upsell stuff, but the truly why or a seasonality aspect too. Another example I talk about is just like um, like with, with sporting goods, like are they buying a beanie because it's getting cold and we're going into winter and they're walking to work with it or they're buying a beanie because it's ski season coming up. Mm-hmm. And if you can understand that, then when you're speaking to them, whether it's product recommendations or just the content of your emails, are you talking about ski season and skiing and, and whatever product you sell that helps support that? Um, or do you have like nice dress gloves because they're walking to work, they're cold and their fingers are going to get cold. Let's try to cross sell this advice. So understanding exactly what they're there for can help kind of tailor those. And 
I'm going to give specific examples, but you know, people can connect the dots on, on their own use cases. But I think it's a really interesting opportunity, challenging opportunity, but um, I think there's some really good programs out there to help. Our last feature for the best of 2022 is from episode 23 with founding members of Giftnote and Elephant Room, Adam Sharon Zipser, director, and Nick Kennedy, head of client success. Yeah, makes sense. I'm curious, and Mariah, you might have thoughts on this too, but we we rarely talk about performance marketing on this podcast because we're typically so much more focused on the retention side, but I've seen so much lately about like the shift in ad spend from you know Facebook to TikTok or Facebook to Instagram or, or now Instagram to TikTok. Like, how have you adjusted your strategies? What are you uh, leaning off of and leaning into uh, in today's environment? Yeah, like it's a um, it's it looked at we 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 battle that question every single day, and we're actually battling it a lot more now. Walking into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, the reality is that we we can't rely on like platform reported return. So that's one thing because it's blended and it overlaps. And some platforms have seven day plus seven day view, one day click, whatever it is, um, or thirty thirty plus one. So. We, we basically establishing an MER, like a marketing efficiency ratio or a cost of sale ratio in aggregate to then dictate how the media as an aggregate is working in the brand uh, for the business itself. Then what we're trying to work, we, we drill that down by saying what was branded, what was not branded. Um, so we can at least allocate the percentage of revenue um, and spend. So we know what was really high intent direct and what was a bit more on the merchandise side. And then what we do is subdivide that by new customer versus repeat customer um, entries as well. So trying to understand what is actually growing the business and what's actually, again, on the retention side of the media, because media does actually account for a lot of retention-based um, customers that simply are typing in a brand name that kind of get lost in the performance media arm. So what we try to do is we, we split it out into those like three or four major pillars, then the narrative is quite straightforward to say, hey, like by doing this way, we can see this. Um, it's never clear cut. And then what we try to do is, what we try to do to cement it or battle harden it is more of this like incremental philosophy. So instead of doing Snapchat and TikTok in parallel because it gets blurred and you never really know what's going to work, we try to have a very strict pacing policy where we only really want to be doing one new media channel at a time and then look back at our benchmark numbers to say, hey, this is what's impacting. This is what our efficiency is. This is what, what's actually going on after we did this. Um, and that's how we're sort of approaching it and tackling it now. And that opens so many more doors once you have a conversation in that frame as well. For you, for the benchmarks that you're saying, because you you can't trust the platform itself. Are you looking in Google Analytics or is that something you're doing in-house um, or like another software? Or? So Google Analytics is like a last click scenario. So it's good. It is good because it, it gives you the snapshot of the last click environment for people that have opted in for cookies that aren't, don't have ad blockers and you know aren't working in Kikinito or some other niche Firefox browser. Um, so we primarily use some of that but what we also do is we Shopify makes it quite easy to export some of the data out of it. Um, what we then do is we ingest that in a very large warehouse. Um, we have like our ETL tools set up that are basically 
bringing in everything by the day, by platform, impressions, clicks, spend, um, and revenue. And then what we do is we have some blending formulas to actually figure out what the pace is for the day. And that's how we sort of report it back in um, Data Studio or, or Looker Studio now or Google Sheets, depending on the client requirements. Um, this is like, that's, that's been a very big investment for us as well. Um, and that's sort of where we're trying to sort of get to a bit more on the performance side. Yeah, so touching on on that point of Adam in identifying gift recipients, which you can't currently do from Shopify out of the box. Um, let's just say an example, um, uh, I'm sending Noah a bottle of whiskey. I don't, I don't know if you're a drinker or not, um, but let's just say <laughs> that I'm not a drinker. Let's say I send him the bottle of whiskey and the brand that I'm purchasing from is going to think that I'm the customer and that I'm a whiskey drinker, right? So in the future, I'm going to get hit up with ads on Facebook, on TikTok now, um, get all their e emails, all their CRM emails, whereas you're the person perhaps that they should be actually sending that to. So GiftNote can help with that in converting you into a database, a customer and um, an opted in customer within their database. So yeah, was that the question you were gonna ask? Okay, it's almost <laughs> like we planned it. It's yeah, it's very similar along that line. So like, the notion that you can, you like, especially around this time of year, right? Like heading into the holidays, we're recording in the beginning of, um, in the beginning of November. So black Friday, cyber Monday is like two weeks away. So the idea of the merchant, not having like the, the customer versus the consumer and like how they're different in gift giving. So that's exactly what I was going to talk about is like, there's also a huge perk for merchants to grow their like branding and their um, experience with the person who's actually consuming their product and to ask for, you know, that UGC or those reviews or um, to know, like, even if, so the, like say Nick in the whiskey example, you're buying, you mark like, oh, this is for Noah's birthday or something along those lines. Now the merchant knows that, oh, you bought a bottle of whiskey for your friend's birthday around this time or like even mm. segmenting for like different holidays because now they have more information on like you and why you purchase from them and then also have more information about Noah and his consuming like patterns or that he's been introduced to the brand exactly. super interesting so, yeah so imagine like um one year after I buy a whiskey bottle for Noah, the same brand hits me up. I'm in, I'm in their segment of gift senders and yeah. they hit me up saying, does, does Noah need another bottle for his birthday? <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Always yes. Yeah. <laughs>